At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, here we are, John. It is the last episode in the history of this long, illustrious podcast in this decade. Can not, you not, accor- not according to the decade, police. That that won't be until a year from now. <laughs> this is like uh, when Newman reserved like the wrong time. He wanted the millennium, and it was actually 2001 for his millennium <laughs> party. <laughs> That's that's uh that's where you're going here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the decade police, yeah, rigorous exam to uh, join that elite outfit for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you had to sum up the uh, this long decade here in the uh, Hollinger Duncan NBA show, um, any, anything anything come to mind? Any thoughts you want to share about what it's been like doing it over this these ten years? <laughs> Well, we've we've seen so we've seen so much change over these ten years, Nate. You know, yeah. For instance, for instance, we didn't have a podcast for the first nine and three quarters years of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just just since we started this, Luka Doncic became a top five player in the NBA. We can we can uh, we can note that. Uh, so, all right, let, let's. Uh, we've been remiss here the last few episodes because we've been so chock full of all these great questions we haven't ruled teams out for the playoffs in some time so let's start with that actually and we each have to do three wow so to recap the knicks the Cavs, and the grizz are dead for me grizz have been looking a little feisty uh and then the warriors winners of four straight up until last night mm-hmm. uh the knicks and the Cavs uh, are uh, dead to John Hollinger. So uh, I will start here. My first pick will be, drumroll, the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> That's a, That comes as a big shock. <laughs> Can you explain your surprise selection <laughs> that the 6-27 and 27 Hawks will not make the playoffs? Well, I, I was thinking for a while, you know, they had that 4-2 and two start, which in retrospect is probably the worst thing that ever could have happened to them. Um, think about wait wait think about that they're two and twenty five since then. Oof. It's not good. Yeah, um, and Trey Trey Young is now out with an ankle sprain. Second time he's missed time with it with an ankle sprain. We'll see how long he's out. They uh they will not be winning. Uh, a, a certain uh media member that I know uh has a a betting sponsor, and so he's just doing like a challenge of some bets, and the Hawks uh. Over under in terms of points scored against the Bulls yesterday, it was 103, and I'm pretty sure he banged that under pretty good with Trey Young. <laughs> Trey Young oh, I can up. I can only imagine. Yeah, as soon as he went out of that game and against Milwaukee the other night, just banged that under for their next several games. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it's got to be going down now uh, at this point too. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're I wasn't ready to rule them out yet because I'm like, oh, you know, maybe they can tread water and the bottom seeds in the east aren't that bad and you know they're uh john collins me back and no they are uh they're done yeah yeah they, they stick a fork in them um they no, no surprise here they were they were also my pick uh for the uh for one of my three picks yeah but the good news is you get to watch them the rest of the year anyway in person 
I I know. I'm actually I'm actually going to be going to a lot of Hawks games in January, so I'm a little fearful of what I might see. Hope, hope I mean, hopefully at least Trey. I mean, John Collins is back now, right? So hopefully yeah. Trey is back after the new year, and they're at least competent and play real basketball games that give you something to evaluate. Because that game against Milwaukee the other night, I mean, that was a joke. Yeah, without Giannis, they without were like- without Giannis, they were still completely overmatched, and they were down twenty before Trey got hurt. Uh, okay. So we'll snake draft this. So now it's your turn to go first. Now it's my turn. I got to knock somebody out of the playoffs and, uh, we're starting to get into like legitimate teams here. Right. So, but I'm actually, I'm going to go with Memphis next and I'm going to go with Memphis just because of, of all these teams we have less left. They're probably the least focused on actually making the playoffs this year. Yeah. Uh, their their intent is to build around John Moran and Jaron Jackson. That is absolutely the correct strategy. You're not going to be see that, seeing them trading draft picks at the deadline to get veteran players. In fact, you probably see them go the opposite direction, if anything. Uh, you know, moving off of players yeah. like Igadala, obviously, but also Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill, I think will be in play. So uh, I'll I'll go with uh, Memphis next. Yeah, that's fair. I they were I had ruled them out earlier. They started playing better. Also, they got John like the thirty minutes a game plan, which I think is smart. I think the people are like, "Oh, rookies can play so many minutes." It's like you're not going anywhere. Why not just play them thirty minutes a game? And then they can also he also had off season knee surgery. People yeah. forget. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. And also, when I think guys are playing fewer minutes, they can develop better habits, especially defensively, because they're not tired. You're when you're out there, you're fresh, and you can actually. You know, you're not just like pushing to play 40 minutes and like you're the only offensive threat. So you're exhausted all the time. Um, I, I do think that there's an argument that's better for development. Uh, okay. My turn here. <sighs> I am struggling between two, three teams here. I guess I'll just say who they are. Wizards, Hornets, and Timberwolves. Did you and... not, did you knock out the Warriors yet? Cause you, 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 there's. Oh, yo, you know, you know what? I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. That was, I, I, I had that in my notes and then I totally forgot about it. Yeah. I will do the Warriors. Thanks. You're, um, I just saved your draft. <laughs> I don't know. If there's, I mean, so Slater was trying to tell me they might get to 29 wins. So, um, but yeah, I mean, for them to even get into being, you know, 37 wins, they would have to go on an incredible run. Maybe if they had won yesterday, I might have like, been a little more loath to knock them out, but then they, they got blown out ultimately in that game. Um, okay, so I have to go again, though, and now I have I do have that question. Of yeah. Hornets, Wizards, or Wolves? I mean, the Wolves, I don't know how much more time Carl Anthony Towns is going to miss. They've had the worst defense in the league for about a month now. Uh, so I, I don't... I still, though, town scares me a little bit, and also just the, the bottom of the West being so bad, especially like the Thunder if Chris Paul gets hurt or the Blazers if Lillard gets hurt. I mean, they're kind of still right in that next path. So I think I got to go with the Hornets. Ultimately, uh, Bulls are playing a little bit better. Magic and Nets are way ahead of them. I, I, they've well overperformed their point differential, so I, I think that's who I got to get rid of here, despite the fact that I did see a couple of tweets alleging that they were in the playoff race the other day. They're one of those teams that could get tempted to like trade for somebody if they think they're, you know what I mean? If they luck into a couple wins between now and the trade deadline or like two and a half out or something. And Oh man. Yeah. You, you worry about that a little bit, although it's hard to see them making a trade that would make enough impact to actually vault them into the postseason. Like yeah. a, a that, whole lot of things would have, have to happen right for them. You know, this exercise, though, we're supposed to be, you know, we root for all teams. We root for people to succeed. This is kind of putting us in the opposite position here. Like, we're now that we rule these teams out, you're sort of like, if they start going on a run, you're going to be like, oh, man, what was I thinking? Yeah. Well, you know, it's inevitable. It's it's like rooting for your picks, right, at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those deals. Like, once the season starts, you just have to burn your picks and move on and just evaluate what happened. Yeah, because clearly, like, neither of us would bring up that, you know, one of us did better in this competition than the other at, at any time. I could, I could not foresee that happening. I don't, okay. I don't know why that, why that would ever happen. Like, if they, right. if there was some, I don't know, if, like, if there were, if there was some type of thing called, I don't know, you could, you would call it like trash talking or something, I guess. I don't know what the <laughs> word even is for it. Uh, 
Okay, you need a six team to eliminate here. Yes, and I disagree with your selection. I am oh, going to pick the Washington Wizards, who have nine wins on the season, and half their team is injured, including their only like real NBA plus starter in Bradley Beal, who is uh, out with a something something in his knee that's a little indefinite and a little scary. So uh, yeah, well, considering he's had like the stress reaction before. And that he's played like 43 minutes a game for the last two years for absolutely no reason. Yeah, I, I'm slightly concerned there. Yeah, yeah. So based based on that, uh, I am going to take Washington as the team that I will eliminate for the play. My sixth team to eliminate from the playoffs. We're up to six each now, right? How can you possibly eliminate the number five offense in the NBA? I mean, they've been tremendous. They've been tremendous fun, um, especially if you're a fan of scoring, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they, they're actually like, they, they're a much more positive story than a lot of the bad teams this year, just because of the whole Bertans experience and Mo Wagner has kind of rejuvenated himself a little bit. And there's some other positive stories coming out of there, but the end, but at the end of the day, they're like, they're still an awful team. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they were, would have been my second choice, I think, because they do have like basically the worst defense in NBA history and yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention though, Troy Brown is balling, Nate. Yeah, coming coming off the bench. I still don't get why he's still coming off the bench. He's like he's the best player they have left, but whatever. I mean, it it seems like it's just he. They felt like he wasn't playing well. They put him to the bench. He's playing well, and so they didn't want to disturb that. Uh, And I guess also he gets more chances to have the ball if he's playing off the bench, and that's what he's he's good at in theory. Maybe that's the thought, but. and I think he, he even had some quotes saying that, like, on the second unit, he's, like, felt more comfortable for, for that reason. Um, all right. So we got six each here. Um, so Washington instead of Charlotte. That's, uh, you know, I don't think we'll, either of those is going to come back to bite us. <laughs> we, we, neither of us will rue the day we made this selection. No. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think it'll be really, it'll be interesting to see because I doubt we're going to each get all 16 playoff teams correct here. To see what what is the date when one of us first makes a mistake, I should yeah. actually write down write down the date here. Well, if we keep forgetting and drag this out till April, we might go sixteen for sixteen. <laughs> All right, we're not going to do that anymore. Okay. Uh, okay, let's take a quick break here, and we'll get back to our next topic, which is a fun one: the players in the NBA that most confound us. We'll talk to you in a second here. So I know a lot of people struggle with just the overall stress of their lives. I, I definitely feel it. At times, there's just so much going on. Social media, constant alerts on your phone. You can't necessarily get around it. It's just part of living in your daily life. But if you're looking for a way to detach, whether it's getting ready for bed, whether it's refocusing your mind, Calm is a great way to do that. They've actually teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. It's like any other muscle in your body. It can help you train your brain so you sleep better, you have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says that getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things that I can do for my body and mind. So if you want to check out their soothing nature scene, their sleep stories, their meditations of sleep stories are definitely something I, I know a lot of people enjoy as a way to get your mind uh, off what's going on in your life uh, and detach a little bit before bed. If you head to calm.com slash locked on NBA, you'll get 40% off a calm premium membership. That'll get you those nature scenes, sleep stories, meditations. So once again, for a limited time, Locked On NBA listeners can join LeBron James in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Once again, that's calm.com slash NBA. Calm.com slash NBA. We'll rejoin John here in a moment, but my bookie wants to get you off the sideline and in on the action between football season, NBA, start a college basketball season, college football wrapping up. There are tons of ways to play with mybookie.ag. They have a screaming deal right now. They will match your deposit halfway 
all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with using the promo code locked on NBA. That's all one word locked on NBA, just like the name of the network that we're all a part of here. Nobody gives you more ways to win than mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. And with that locked on NBA promo code and that half deposit matching, you can even do it with some of their money. Once again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code locked on NBA. You play, you win, you get paid. So this is a, a fun one. After hanging out at the G League Showcase, I'm doing uh, my top 10 prospects in the NBA list for Dunked On right now and realizing that there are just certain players that I feel I've never been able to get a read on, whether it's are they going to develop, whether it's even is this guy actually any good or not, will he be good? I really struggle with it. So I thought it would just be interesting for both of us to talk about those players and see if we can try to get a little bit of a handle on it because, you know, even as – you could watch every game for a team sometimes and players who are, or people who work for teams do watch their players every game and still sometimes get this wrong. So I think it's interesting to talk about. So John, who is your, did, did you have any like criteria to go through and find this or anything like that before we start? Or you want to, I didn't really use statistical criteria. I mean, I mostly yeah. went for younger players, obviously, because there's yeah. more of their uh, book left to be written. Uh, but guys who I go back and forth on or guys who just bewilder me in some ways. So the number one guy for me is a guy you see quite a bit now. Uh, D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Is, is he good? <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I, I go back and forth on this. Like, he, he's, it gives you a lot of shot creation. He's drawing more fouls this year. Uh, but not, still not really like a high percentage guy and, Boy, he sure has the ball in his hands a lot to do what he does and doesn't really give you a whole lot defensively. I, I, I still don't know. Is, is he good? Well, so what, what is good? Is it like, you know, is he the 15th best point guard in the NBA? Is, is, is that good? I mean, is he max contract good? I would say definitely not, but just as far as like, a, you're talking about just a player who helps you win in the end. Yeah, or helps, or helps. Let's let's define it a little, a little more tightly. Helps an average to good team win. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely think when you get to the highest levels, his athletic and defensive limitations as a primary creator are not going to work out for you. Uh, You know, if you're really second round of the playoffs, we saw him, for example, get shut down in the playoffs last year by Ben Simmons. Just his athleticism was just too much and teams that get deep in the playoffs are going to have someone with that type of length because he, he doesn't really explode off of screens that well. And so if you've got someone who has a lot of length and the strength to avoid getting kind of pushed off by his uh get you in jail kind of moves, then he, he's not really going to be able to attack the rim and finish. So like that kind of player could really limit him. A good switch team could really limit him. But I think he's got value as a shot creator for a team that, you know, is trying to make the playoffs. I mean, there's only so many of those guys that you can throw the ball to and he'll at least be able to do something against most teams. Yeah. He's probably more fit dependent than a lot of the players we talk about because he, the more, the more he has the ball, right? The more he's, the more he's effective, but also kind of the, the weaker the, the other options are, the more you, gravitate toward him being valuable if you if you had if you had a bunch of a bunch of tony allens let's say and d'angelo russell you might feel pretty good because like you'd be able to guard the other team and you just give the ball to d'angelo and he'd be your offense and you'd be like 17th but you'd be happy with that yeah and i think to me he's very matchup dependent on defense and maybe that's why you know he'll look so good some nights and not good like last night against the mavs they have one wing defender that's jordan penny smith who doesn't have a lot of strength and he scores 12 points in the first two minutes. Rick Carlisle changes up the defense to double team him. And now all of a sudden you're getting wide open threes off of those double teams mm-hmm. out near half court because he's draining uh, some really deep threes. So against a team like that, against a team like the Wolves where he's had big games against them, they they don't really have a, a great defense either. If it's a team that has length, uh, has a lot of principles, have guys who can recover back to shooters, 
uh, can play him in the pick and roll two on two and force him into difficult mid rangers that you know he'll make sometimes and not make other times, then he's not going to look as good. So yeah, I, I, that's a, really an interesting one to me. And you know, it's not surprising that there are a lot of people who are like, oh, this guy isn't going to get much of a contract in free agency. I mean, he also up until about December, late December of last year, like hadn't done anything really in his career. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. They're still only 23 years old, so still, you know, maybe maybe there's still some upside here. If he becomes – like yeah. if he became a 40-plus proposition from three instead of just an okay three-point shooter, I think that, that could be a game-changer yeah. for him. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, last night, I mean, he looked unbelievable at 30 in the first half. He was just raining in threes. Um, all right, my first one is Ricky Rubio. Ha. Huh. I – you know, he was he was on my short list – I didn't. I didn't end up putting him in my three, but he was on my short list. I yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I actually think he's good. I th- I think he's a top fifteen point guard. I think the one thing where he hurts you, and we saw it in Utah, and we've seen it in Phoenix at the end of a lot of these close games, is that when it bogs down into a half court game late, his value really craters. Yeah, I, I think, and also when teams could be locked in on the scouting report with him as well, right? If you just know, hey, this guy's not going to really finish. He's not going to shoot threes very well off the dribble. We're going to make this guy into a score. We'll, we can maybe contest him late at the rim. But when teams just kind of in their base pick-and-roll defense and you give him the credit you would a normal scoring point guard, now he's going to start diming guys up. Um And, you know, defensively, he gets a ton of steals. Uh, I don't think he's as good as he was earlier in his career, but mm-hmm. I think he's still a plus uh, on that end. But, you know, he's also not going to guard like, you know, a James Harden type of guy. Like he didn't really look very good that way until they started like doing the, we're going to just force him into the, into the help at the rim defense. Yeah. They had him on Harden in that series last year, but it was a, uh, it was a scheme driven thing. They weren't just asking him to square up on him the way, say, Andre Iguodala does and just, and just kind of guard him honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but he was so early in his career with Minnesota. I was like, oh, this guy is so underrated. Yeah, he's shooting 38% from the field and 47% at the rim. But all the on-off numbers really like him. I mean, there's a lot of teams that he's been on where, I mean, part of why it's been difficult to evaluate him too is that a lot of the teams that he's been on, Phoenix and Minnesota, just have had nothing at backup point guard. Whereas when he was in Utah, you had Mitchell... You have Joe Ingles. There, when he was out of the game, there are still guys who could actually handle the ball and get the team into their offense. They had yeah. a, a good system. Yeah. So I think maybe that some some of the on off numbers get inflated because he's been on these teams that have had no replacement for him. Like some of his teams, you know, Zach Levine was the backup point guard a couple of those years in Minnesota, right. and so um, yeah. But I, but I definitely have struggled to uh, evaluate him, and it, I think. He's another one of these guys who will help you if you're really bad, but then maybe if you're he he's not going he only can get you so far. Yeah, can you win a playoff series with him? It it gets hard. I would say you'd you'd have to be a team that was top five in pace certainly because in the open court he's really good, and the more you can play that way, the more value he has. But it's 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 tough to play that way in in postseason and in fourth quarters. Uh the other thing though, I mean, a counterpoint to this is. I, mean, I think they've got like a 115 offensive rating this year when he's on the floor. Like, I mean, that's like you would think, oh, he, you know, he'll get you to competence, but no, they've actually like gotten beyond that. I'm sure there's some shooting luck involved there too, but I mean, that's, that's a good raw number, even, you know, not comparing it to what happens when he's off the floor. So, you know, still, still deserves more to watch. It's MVP of, uh, of FIBA too. I don't know if that means anything for you, but, uh, <laughs> I'd, for, I'd, forgot, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that one really moved the needle for me that much. But but congratulations yeah. to him all the same. Okay, who's your next one? Uh, Laurie Markinen. Yeah, I was so high on this guy coming into the year. I really thought he was going to blow up. He had thirty five and seventeen in the opener, and then just kind of evaporated into blah. He. He should be a better shooter than this, right? Like, well, he needs to be. Well, they, well, that too. But I, I just, it looks so good, and then it just doesn't go in more than one and three, and that's that's the key to his whole game. I mean, if he's a legit forty percent threat out there, then 
that that opens up everything because he's he's actually tough when he can put it on the floor and post up against switches and stuff. Like he's pretty good at that. But the the whole threat that opens that whole thing up is just him bombing away, and he hasn't really been able to do that successfully for whatever reason. Yeah, I think another thing too is I think there is a hope that he could post up against mismatches and create some of his own offense too. You know, you get in pick and pop, and yeah, it does all start with that shot, right? You pick and pop. Just like Dirk, you have to either let that guy go to the rim because you're so worried about a shot or you have to switch him and then he can go to work. And I think he has shown a little bit of facility, like in that Charlotte game, of just going at smaller players. Like yeah. when he faces up and drives, he'll kind of drive in and, and be able to knock the guy backwards and, and shoot like a short floater that's a, a decent shot for him. But if anybody that's his size, he has had really no chance of scoring against because he doesn't have quite the level of quickness to blow by that type of a guy and those guys usually have more length and strength than than he does yes yeah, i mean still only 22 so you know there's still time here but if you're the bulls you have to make an evaluation after this season when you start looking at a contract extension and he hasn't really gotten any better since he got into the league yeah it does feel that way and defensively he doesn't really provide much if he could play center credibly I think you would feel a lot better about where he's at. Yeah, I mean, and he could if Ben Wallace is at the four. But I think in a in a more real in more realistic settings, I, that's definitely yeah. that's definitely a weakness. So then, now you play a real five with him. Now he's playing the four, where he can be a little compromised laterally. And uh, even though Chicago's had a good team defense this year, I mean, I don't I don't think it's been because of him. Yeah, I would have thought that. He and Thaddeus Young would be a better fit, but we haven't seen too much of that combination. I think in part because Lowry hasn't played well enough to where we're going to play him 35 minutes a game. Well, nor has Thad for that matter. Yeah, at least yeah, at least offensively for sure. He's he's uh, really struggled. Yeah, that, that's a good one. I mean, uh, although it kind it kind of sounds like we're more just down on him, I guess at this point. Even when we're saying he's controversial. Yeah, you see, I still kind of want to believe in him. Um, ap- apologies for the sirens. I'm in uh, yeah. New Orleans here. Uh, we got, you know, whatever action is going on in the French Quarter out my window here. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to school there. I know it well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess. And, you know, if we were having this conversation last February after he averages 20 and 10 for the month, I remember having a conversation with uh, – Someone at a lower level in their organization who, you know, was kind of crowing a little bit about how the Butler trade had really worked out so well and Levine was looking good at that time. That's a trade I, I go back and forth on really for a long time. Uh, I hated it at the time, but then, you know, there's been times when Levine and Markin look awesome. You're like, Oh yeah, wow. They just two years of Jimmy Butler. They moved off of him at the right time. And then you're like, no, actually they could have made the playoffs the last two years instead of sucking. And all they got to show for is Levine and Markin. So, um, yeah, he, he, he definitely is what, and I think the theme that I'm going to keep coming back to here is so much of it is, well, is this guy going to make shots or not? You know, and it's just, it's so hard to know that. Yeah. It's a, it's a make or miss league at the end of the day, but for, for some, but for somebody who came in as, as a, being a stretch is really his thing. And then to be like, you know, 51 EFG is like, yeah, you know, eh, whatever. Like I, I, it just has to be better than that. All right, we'll leave people in suspense for my next confounding player uh, in just a second here. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. 
David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store okay demontis sabonis is my next one really because you're you're just gonna say oh he's good yeah i mean i i get i get where you're going with this though because it's again uh, on a high level team. Where does he fit, and what's the fit with Turner? And um, I mean, there's there's still some questions there. I, I get where you, I get where you're going with this. I think, but 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 preach. Well, for him, maybe it's more of a philosophical question than it is. Okay, what is he actually doing, and what is he actually going to do? I and mean, I think there's a little bit of that to some extent defensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had some pretty decent numbers with him out there defensively at times. Um, you know, I think Nate McMillan and uh, Dan Burke do a, a really good job there in Indiana um, and deserve a lot of credit for how they've gotten guys who weren't really defensive players to come in there and defend. Or I mean, you look at it. Limited. I mean, they're playing Lamb at the two, TJ Warren at the three, and Sabonis at the four, and they're still <laughs> been pretty effective defensively. I mean, it's a, that's some pretty serious smoke and mirrors. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, Bogdanovich is another guy that they had a lot of success with. He was one of the worst defensive players in the league before he got to Indiana. And, yep. So, you know, they, they deserve a lot of credit there. But yeah, I think, you know, the efficient scoring is really big. You know, how much of that is, can he do that against the absolute best guys? I mean, I think in the regular season, I'm really coming around to, you know, cause some people are talking about him as like being an all star. Like, can you go that far with him at this point? I mean, without just as a general level of play, not necessarily comparing him to the other guys, but I, yeah, I can't really get there. I mean, certainly, if you're going to take an all star from Indiana, I think you'd take Brogdon before you took Sabonis, right? Yeah. So, and that and that's with uh, Thingamajigs uh, being out. I mean, I think those two guys you would say are their two best players, and then you would sort of go back and forth between Turner and Sabonis after that, right? Yeah, I actually, I didn't realize how inefficient he's actually been this season, Sabonis. Uh, and maybe that's not the, the not up to the before. standard uh, of a year ago. Yeah, right. And yeah, only only about average true shooting this year. Yeah, so I think he had some of that Montrez Harold magic going last year, where he would just annihilate bench guys. And now that he's playing against starters, I think it's been a little harder for him. Yeah, and he, I think he's had to take more of his shots uh, from outside uh, this season, playing playing more with the uh, with the center. So yeah, it's. I mean, there are people, and this goes back to college too. I was like, why, why are you taking this guy number 11? And then he had that terrible first year where he's totally misused as a stretch four. And, you know, the shooting has never really come around for him from three. Yeah. He did make but a three also, last, yeah. he did make a three last night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll make a few and, and like, you know, against the box, they're just giving it to him. He'll take it. But, you know, it's not the type of thing. That's the type of shot that the box have made a living giving up to like big men who are kind of questionable above the arc shooter absolutely so i i think his passing ability his ability to post up against mismatches his offensive rebounding the way he operates in the dho game like all that is really really good stuff but if you're talking about him as a foundational piece then you also think of can he be your starting center because you know i think we all acknowledge even though it's working okay that he's not really a four ultimately and they've had, not and they've, and you've seen situations where one or the other of them will get played off the floor. The end of the Miami game uh, on Friday, they closed the game without Sabonis because they needed yeah. to have four perimeters, so they had to choose between Turner or Sabonis to have out there. And you've seen that in other games where they start the two bigs, and then they kind of, you know, they can go on off with them during the course of the game, but in the fourth quarter, they have to make a 
decision. And a lot of times that decision is to take him off at that point. It's kind of funny. It's almost like a mutual non-aggression pact between coaches sometimes at the start of these games where it's like, all right, Eric Spolstra, uh, we're, we're going to play Myers Leonard and <laughs> Bam out of bio together. And you, you can play Turner and Sabonis together. And, uh, you know, we won't really go to the real lineups until the end of the game. Like we just, we want to just play some bigs. We want to start this way. We know the other team's <laughs> going to start this way with two bigs too. So, well, let's just buy some minutes here and then we'll get serious later. In the it, it is pretty funny. And then after about game two of a playoff series, they're just like, you know what? We should just been doing this the whole game, huh? But uh, no, that that it's funny you mentioned that though. Like Miami is basically hiding Myers Leonard in their starting lineup right now, just to steal a few minutes and then get to their bench guys. Wow, there's uh, there's some there's stuff there's going some activity there's some activity out, there. out hey. here. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. It, it adds color to the show. You know, that's, that's, that's... <laughs> I, I I promise they're not coming for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who's your next guy? My next guy uh, thought he was ready to take a leap based on his playoffs last year, then was awful uh, for Team USA this summer and has had a very ordinary year. Derek White of the San Antonio Spurs. What, what, what happened? What's, what's going on here? These San Antonio guys are, are always tough, right? Where you just – because their organization's success in developing some of these – Later guys, some of the times it's difficult for me is when there are a lot of external factors like that, such as, oh, this is good. And then when you see these flashes from the guy, like, oh, shit, here it is, the next San Antonio guy. But you really you look at the overall body of work and maybe it's not as amazing. I agree with that. At the same time, if somebody told you coming into this season that Derek White would shoot 40 percent from three, you would have said, oh, my God, he's going to make the all star team. He's shooting forty. Well, I, he's shooting forty percent from three, and but yet overall he's not really any better than he was a year ago in the regular season. Let let alone in the Denver series. Yeah, on uh, I mean I, I did think that that game you know he had the thirty six point game in game three uh, of that Denver series. So much of that was about just who they were playing and, and the fact that they were not they didn't guard him in game two and then they made an adjustment to really like have him drive closeouts, and then his driving ability, I mean, we saw he had that dunk on Millsap in that series. Yeah. They don't really have a ton of rim protection once guys really get ahead of steam up. So, like, it was really set up for him to have a great series early, and then the Nuggets adjusted and kind of took that away, ultimately. But, yeah, it's just, that whole situation in San Antonio is so screwed up. I think, actually, if anything, he might be kind of underrated Mm -hmm. right now, because playing with DeRozan and Aldridge and DeJounte Murray, the fit with him is terrible too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, let me ask you this. Like, like what is he? Right. Like, I, like, that, that's why he's, that's role? why he's on my list. I don't know. Like, yeah. is he, is he, a, like, is he a one or a two? Let's start there. And is he a starter? Is he, is he somebody you want to pay on a good team? I, I mean, could he, is his ideal role maybe to me is kind of what maybe like Corey Joseph was doing in Toronto? Okay. Play in some two-point guard lineups, defend either guard position really well, maybe close some games. But, you know, obviously they had Kyle Lowry there, right? So he's a a point guard who can really shoot and can play off the ball because he's not really – he's not going to, like, run a bunch of pick and roll and be, like, a huge operator offensively. Right. Defensively, you know, he adds a lot of value there. I think that's pretty clear. Um, But he's probably not big enough to really guard – you know, some of the power wings, you know, it's really, he's a one, he's a one, two defender. And you just, you, we don't know whether he can play off the ball. He's shooting that 40% from three, but you know, he's doing that on what, like, you know, an attempt and a half a game or something, I'm guessing. Uh, he has taken up. 70 attempts this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so two not a ton, a little over two a game. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it, I think he's like, you know, a $10 million a year guard. Probably. That's probably what he is at the end of the day. Third third guard who makes a little bit over mid-level money, right? Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't have 36 in Game 3 against Denver last year, are we having this type of conversation? Or are we just like, man, he's a third guard? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. that Because that Denver series, I think, pushed it over the top. Yeah. So And and, I've, and really, by the end, he wasn't doing much, I don't think, by the end of that. Uh, well, so let me ask you this real quick. Derek White or DeJounte Murray? 
Wow. I still got to go Murray. I think Murray's taken another step forward this year, quietly, actually, like offensive, like he's finishing more often. Um, you're going to worry about the knees with Murray, but he's also, he's younger than White. I, I just think there's a little bit more promise there with Murray. I did think they would start the two of them together, though. I'm, I'm surprised that hasn't happened. Yeah. I mean, and, and then with DeRozan, too. I mean, that, that's why it's hard to evaluate guys in that. San Antonio ecosystem, uh, where you just, you know, you've also got DeRozan and Aldridge, though they're really hard to fit around. And then you also throw in White and Murray, who are also kind of hard to fit around. It's just, it, it's really, uh, they've been, I think, less than the sum of their parts in a lot of ways this year. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I think, you know, some of the, some of the lack of the three point shooting really plays into that. I, I'm not ruling them out for the playoffs yet, though. I actually think that they are the most likely team right now to challenge. Minnesota and Portland for the eighth seed. Um, amazing you listed Minnesota as a team challenging sorry, for the no, no, eighth no, seed. I'm sorry, no, 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 I'm sorry. Portland and, and uh, OKC. Yeah, no, I did not I did not mean to list Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Northwest Division, they're all the same. Uh, okay, here's my next one. Okay. Going to kind of cheat here. But basically, every 3 and D player, just about. Who hasn't been doing it for like at least five years? So like Contavious Caldwell Pope and friends. Yeah, I mean at the two, the three, the the guy that I was gonna bring up here mm-hmm. is you. I'm sure you know him because you're you've been a Jig Maven, but, and his contract situation was so interesting at the time. Remember when like C.J. Williams was playing for the Clippers? Oh yeah, he had that like season. one one good stretch. Yeah, the uh, the yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was like, man, three and D, like this guy. Yeah, he can't jump, but he's like defending acceptably. He plays hard. He's hitting some threes. Like that's that's got some value, right? He was on a two way. Then you know they were up against the hard cap. They had to do. They were doing the dance that the Warriors are doing this mm-hmm. year. Uh, basically uh, ended up getting the rules changed because they were playing it so ridiculously with like you know get putting these guys on six a.m. flights from the West Coast. So they wouldn't accumulate a service day. Oh no, we had yeah. so we had to do that that year too. They weren't the only team. Yeah, there was a lot yeah. of that going on that year where we had to, we had to do that with with Kobe Simmons with his days because I don't know if you remember like we were you know this our season was going off the rails, but like we got to a point where we needed him to play, but we needed to preserve his days too. And if he yeah. flew with the team, that counted as a day. But if you flew commercial, it didn't. So we'd be doing these wackadoo, th- and I mean, these are flights out of Memphis. This isn't like Atlanta where you fly nonstop to everywhere, right? This is, oh, yeah. this is flying out of you know Memphis to Sacramento or <laughs> or things like that. So it it got pretty goofy there. So I'm I'm really glad they changed that rule. But yeah, that that was the year. Sorry, I'm going way off topic here. But oh yeah, no, I was actually I was at probably the best game Kobe Simmons had as a pro. It was like a garbage time against Golden State where he put up like 17 points and he I was like, ooh, maybe this. He guy had will, uh, he scored yeah. 20 or 23, I think, in our second to last yeah. game of the season that year. Uh, that we we won convincingly uh, for our 22nd win. Uh, uh, yeah, a high stakes. Uh, he, he was he was four or five on three. I remember that. It was a yeah. yeah that 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 was quite a game. Um, but but anyway, back back to this. So CJ Williams, like, yeah, you know, wow, he's kind of getting screwed here. And then you know, he's just been in the G. He was uh, on a two way again last year with Minnesota. He didn't do anything. Now he's just in the G League with the Long Island Nets, and and I think he might be on a two way with them. I can't remember, but uh, and so I guess. It's because, I mean, there's been this research that shows, you know, you really need 750 three-point attempts at the NBA level before luck, you can be like, yes, this is the guy's true level of ability. Mm-hmm. And that's before even accounting for the fact that, you know, that's probably three or four seasons worth of work for a lot of these dudes. And so and that abilities can change say, over time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they might actually like, you know, get better. Yep. Uh, Seth Partno so of The yeah. Athletic, by the way, was the uh, author of that, I believe. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's uh really difficult for me. And then evaluating defense is really hard too. So you've got this skill that's totally ephemeral on offense. It could, you know, a guy, you know, Alfonso McKinney is another one, right? Where he was shooting 40% from three the first two months last year. And I, I think ultimately what I've learned is just to be more skeptical of these guys, especially when they're yeah. more fringy. I don't think it, yeah, I don't think like uh, people in the league, I don't think really trusted it with McKinney because his... Yeah historical numbers were so much worse yeah and i didn't either but then you see brandon ingram come in this year and all of a sudden he just he's shooting 40 percent and 85 percent from the line and like 
oh wait, no, this actually is probably a, a real thing. Uh, so it's just, it's so hard to see that. I mean, that's uh, where you, if you're behind the scenes with the team, you probably get a lot better view of, all right, what's this guy really shooting like in practice? What are his numbers like there? Um, Matisse, and then Matisse Tybal yeah. is the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it's like, you know, he's kind of a questionable shooter at Washington and, but he's shooting like on the move. He's shooting some tough attempts. This isn't yeah. like, you know, Tabo Cephalosha throw it to the corner time is released with a sundial yeah. type of thing. Yeah. You know, feet perfectly set, taking one and a half a game that are the most wide open shots you can ever get. He's taking some tough shots on the yeah. move. Have you seen Philly in person yet? No, I haven't. You watch Tybal in warmups though, and it's the same exact thing he was doing at Washington. Like he's, yeah, you know, because I like I like watching guys before the game because you'll see him take fifty or seventy five or a hundred shots or whatever. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm not sure his ability has changed. Yeah, I uh, I started actually like logging some of the, like guys' shots before games sometimes, especially like some young guys. Mm-hmm. And actually, I like posted Twitter like, yeah, here's what he shot. I thought people would be interested in that. And then uh, I'll still probably do it, but. A player got mad at me for doing that. <laughs> there, I I could see that. There's a sense that they they don't want you counting those because there's a sense that the, those don't count. You know, they're practice. They're they're not the real yeah. ones. So you know, I'm sure yeah, you, I'm sure if a guy made like, I'm sure if a guy made 36 in a row, he'd want you to post it. But if if the results maybe weren't quite as rosy, yeah. I mean, maybe there's a feeling like, hey, practice is supposed to be a safe space. But hey, guess what? Like every personnel guy worth their salt who works in the league is getting there early to watch you shoot too so exactly and those are the guys who are going to determine you know how much you're getting paid a lot more than me posting some shit on twitter um yeah so but that's that's just like really and then the defensive part of that too is so hard to to be because you just don't get especially when you're trying to see uh, is this guy going to hold up the place like daniel house for is a perfect example right where Mm -hmm. Oh man, three and D guy with Houston shooting it great this year. Another guy who just came out of nowhere for shooting, by the way. Like the Warriors would have loved to have kept him, although uh, you know, I, I don't know that he was the greatest fit personality wise with them, but they would have loved to have kept him if they'd known he was going to shoot the way he did in Houston, but he probably just didn't at that point. And then he's really athletic. You see him, oh, three and D, you know, he's got the size. And then Kevin Durant just puts five street buckets on him and he just it didn't even come close to bothering a shot and you're like oh wait no maybe the the d only goes so far here yeah yeah there's uh there those guys there's there's some fit things too i think that that matter i think houston has had a lot of success with guys who uh who struggle with decision making and they're able to plug them in because harden's going to make every decision so that their only decision is shoot the ball after i catch it and and some uh, of those guys. On an like, unrelated note, they signed Ben McLemore this season. Well, and I mean Gerald Green, obviously. I mean House has definitely been that kind of player. If you saw him in the G League or at Texas A and M, uh, so that they've been able to they've been able to make it work with those guys because of Harden's genius. Do you think there's something to the idea of just hey, our philosophy is you're just going to bomb away and. This is your role is just to shoot it. We don't even really care how good you are at it. It's still a better shot than anything else you might be doing. Like, do you think they get those guys to shoot better than they could other places with that philosophy? There's an argument to be made for that. I mean, we've we've seen it hit its limits, right? They tried it with Gary Clark and it hasn't really worked and he was never a yeah. shooter at Cincinnati. But I, I do think between D'Antoni kind of pumping these guys up with confidence and not making them second guess – and Harden, the shots he gives them, I mean, they're hitting fungos, right? That these yeah, aren't these true. aren't difficult contested looks off the dribble for the most part. So they put them in a situation where they can maximize, let's say, what their three point potential might be. All right, this is a, this is a fun segment. I I enjoyed that one. Let's talk to John. I, I got another interesting question to ask him about uh, his time in Memphis. After we do one more break here. So this is something that I, I always wanted to ask you. It, it's something that uh, as a journalist who at one point considered uh, working for a team, when you first got in with Memphis, so this is what, this is December of 2012? Yes. Is that when you, you started with them? So you show up there for work. What really surprised you? I mean, you've been around the, the league really for 10 years at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, um what surprised you getting in and being on the inside for the first time that you just weren't able to realize despite being around for 10 years? 
So I would say I would say two big things. Um, so it was unusual when I came in because we were in the middle of a season, which is which is a very unusual pathway. Usually guys will come in in the off season, uh, either in April May when a lot of changes happen, or kind of after a, especially after a lot of times a new GM will come in and they'll do sort of immediately that off season, and then they'll deal with filling out their staff in July August September. But that didn't happen with me. I came in, in in December and we had a season to deal with and we had a we had to do a trade almost right away to get ourselves out of the luxury tax pickle that we were in and uh also kind of reshape the roster a little more optimally, which Oh, that was that was the Spates trade, right? Oh, Please. so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had I had blacked out and forgotten that one. Um no, I was say I was thinking about the Rudy Gay trade, which was the main Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah, the main event. Yeah, um, yeah. The Spates thing happened too, which I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that was totally necessary, but whatever. And we got we got Johnny Badger out of it, who was pretty good for us. Um, but the uh, no, the, the trading Rudy Gay and uh, you know getting Tayshawn back, and eventually using the trade exception to get Courtney Lee. That 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 was what kind of reshaped the team and got us out of the tax and everything. But the the the, I'm I'm wandering here. The the thing that really struck me when I got in there, uh, that whole first year was just how many different parts and pieces there are to running a basketball team, and how many of them are at best tangential to the actual playing of basketball games. Just yeah. just all these little things that go into it, from the the travel, the uh, equipment guys, the trainers, the training facility every everybody's trying to upgrade their their training facilities and you're bringing in architects and discussing about this and that uh in terms of in terms of hiring you're you're almost constantly in a state of hiring and adding just because there's there's just a lot of movement in the league even for the quote-unquote stable teams assistant coaches change trainers support staff they're all looking to move up the general i guess way things do, or the general custom in the league is that when somebody is offered a promotion even if somebody's under contract and you could technically block them it's considered extremely uncouth to do that so guys are guys are moving around and so you you're constantly trying to fill in um in terms of scouting budgeting figuring out what's what's worth seeing who do you need to have on your staff to see those games how do you organize all the information you get from those people i mean it's really it's why they call it a general manager at the end of the day because you're really yeah. you're really in charge of so many of these aspects that that are almost it's almost like a a, a random assortment of things and and staying on top of all of them can be can be very tricky and it involves a lot of people that you don't really think about. And I remember being struck at we we had a we had a retreat at one point for like everybody who touched on basketball operations and I was struck by just how many people there were and how many different functions they were doing and how I never really thought of that when I was just writing about the games at ESPN. Um Yeah, I, that, that's uh so when you when you come in how much of your time would you say you you said you know there's all this stuff that uh, only tangentially could touches on basketball it's not you know the the stuff that people would think of that you're doing where you're actually evaluating players and you know yeah. making trades or calling people or whatever like what percentage of your time would you say was on just pure basketball stuff and what percentage was on other stuff I would say that other stuff soaks up a lot more of your time in the off season and yeah. d- during the season you generally have all your people in place people don't really move around much in season so they're generally in place and you're more just and you're more just managing it. Um yeah. and but once you get to April, uh or you know, hopefully May or June when your season ends, that's really when you have to deal with a lot of that stuff and at the same time you're preparing for your off season and everything and then oh oh don't even get me get me started on arranging everything for summer league and things like that. Um and then if you have a G League team. Um, and let's say you were trying to move that team from, I don't know, Des Moines, Iowa to South Haven, Mississippi, let's say, hypothetically, <laughs> like that's a whole, whole other, you know, laundry list of tasks that you have to deal with. Um, and you want to, 
you know, you want to make sure that you're, you're hiring good people for the G League team too. Like this is a whole other set of tasks now that has been added onto the list. Um, so just, just that whole, that whole laundry list of, of things I think is something that people don't really think about when they tend to think about running a team more on the fantasy manager level. And I guess uh, to, you know, talking about moving the G League as an example, you might say, oh, well, just you can delegate that stuff to someone who's not directly related to basketball. But at the end of the day, the decision of, okay, where is our facility going to be for the G League or whatever? Or how much is this going to cost? We have like a budget for yeah. this team. Like that ultimately is going to affect basketball operations, right? Mm-hmm. If we have to pay more in rent for this thing in Mississippi or in Iowa or, wh- yeah, or whatever. There's a lot of then, layers to it. Yeah. The business yeah. side gets involved with something like that. And, um, you know, the r- really let, you know, t- Chris Wallace, our GM and ownership are involved in looking at different sites. And, uh, there's just a lot of different things that, that, that goes into that. You can delegate it to a point, but it, you, you can't just, you can't just outsource it. You know, <laughs> you got to deal with it. So, yeah. But the other thing, the other more interesting basketball thing that I never would have guessed until until I worked on the inside, and and I know from talking to other teams, this isn't like a Grizzlies thing. This is like every team in the league. The most heated and vociferous arguments on any staff are over players that do not matter. Yeah. Like the 15th man, the last training camp invite, who to give the, the final two-way to, that – the, those those are always the ones that that end with like the the uh, the, the worst disagreement. Somehow, the stuff that involves you know hundred million dollar contracts to top line players or whatever, like no, <laughs> it just doesn't it just doesn't happen that way. I, it's it is really weird, right? It's, it's the opposite of what you think it should be, and uh, I, I I don't know why that is, but it's 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 like that everywhere, and. Uh- yeah, I have a theory. Okay. On, on why that is. Okay. Because the higher level stuff, you know that everyone in the organization has really thought about it and that there's a process there. And, you know, if the GM has an opinion, you know that he's really thought about it. And so you're just going to, you're more likely to just go with that. Whereas the 15th guy on the roster, that's where maybe lower level people kind of feel like they can. This is just a theory, obviously, feel like they actually know better. And so they're more willing to argue with it. Whereas, you know, maybe the GM hasn't seen this guy that much in person or something, but like the scout has. And so they feel like, hey, this is a, a low enough decision where like I can actually exert more, uh, more influence. You think there's any truth to that? Or is that, uh, that's interesting. Uh, way off there? There, there might be a little something to that. There, there, you, you might have a point there that, um, that they just, yeah. That some of those people will just take for granted, or not take for granted, but just they're not going to wade into a hundred million dollar argument. Well, and it's also you just have more information on someone like that. You know, we we've seen this guy play for eight years, and we've talked about potentially signing him for the last eight months, and so just a consensus has been reached much earlier. And I think everyone just kind of you know, you're not going to have an argument like. This guy you're thinking of signing, one person thinks he sucks. He's been in the league for eight years. The other person's like, no, let's give him $100 million. Wow, I think you might have solved it, Nate. <laughs> this had this confounded me, too. This is my – we talk about confounding players. This is my my confounding <laughs> NBA management problem. You might have, you might have solved it. Well, there, there's – I mean, I think also, right, like don't, don't they say that it, in these bureaucracies, it's the – like – the smaller the fiefdom, like the more uh, hardcore people are about running it. Sometimes too. You know, oh, defend, the, the defending, defending their it. little patch of turf. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some of that too. Um. All right. I, I think. Uh, I think we're good here. Uh, well, so was there anything else that came to mind that really surprised you? Or those, just those two. Those were kind of. Those were kind of my two main yeah. ones. I mean, I'm sure there were other, you know, smaller, smaller things. But in terms of like kind of the big picture. What what surprised you? I would say I would say those those were the two. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll be back next week. Uh, hope everyone had a happy holidays. Wish you all a, a happy new year. Uh, John, what should people do with this podcast if they enjoy it? 
Well, they should definitely subscribe uh, to our podcast on uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And keep downloading us and listen to us in the new year. And follow us on Twitter, too, at John Hollinger, at Nate Duncan NBA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.